0: let us now read together what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 16. You can find that on page 489 of your Book of Praise. There we find God's Word summarized as follows. Why was it necessary for Christ to humble himself even unto death? Because of the justice and truth of God, satisfaction for our sins could be made in no other way than by the death of the Son of God. Why was he buried? His burial testified that he had really died. Since Christ has died for us, why do we still have to die? Our death is not a payment for sins, but it puts an end to sin and is an entrance into eternal life. What further benefit do we receive from Christ's sacrifice and death on the cross? Through Christ's death, our old nature is crucified, put to death, and buried with him, so that the evil desires of the flesh may no longer reign in us, but that we may offer ourselves to him as a sacrifice of thankfulness. Why is there added, he descended into hell? In my greatest sorrows and temptations, I may be assured and comforted that my Lord Jesus Christ, by his unspeakable anguish, pain, terror, and agony, which he endured throughout all his sufferings, but especially on the cross, has delivered me from the anguish and torment of hell. We will sing after the sermon from... Hymn 63, the stances 1 and 2. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, includes you, boys and girls, young people, teenagers, just a moment ago we sang from Hymn 1B, which, as you know, is the rhymed version of the Apostles' Creed. We also have Hymn 1A, which follows the wording of the Apostles' Creed more exactly. You may have noticed that we sing from hymn 1B more often than we do from hymn 1A. There is a reason for that. Both, of course, are acceptable and scriptural. But hymn 1B deals with the suffering and death and burial of the Lord Jesus Christ in a different way than does hymn 1B. Hymn 1b does not speak about the descent into hell, but about descending into death's domain. It is connected by that subordinate clause to the fact of the burial of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the burial of Christ is elaborated upon by stating that that means that he descended into death's domain. For that reason, many people like that rendition of Hymn 1b better. There are even some who have a hard time stating or singing that the Lord Jesus descended into hell after he was buried. They do not agree that Christ actually descended into hell. Indeed, if you think of a descent into actual hell in that regard, then you are right. I also am convinced that the Lord Jesus Christ did not descend into actual hell after he was buried. I have preached about that before. This afternoon, we will take another close look at that statement to remind us what it means and also what the historical background is. The Catechism also has us deal with the death and burial of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is important that we understand the significance of these historical facts as well and that we know why those statements are also in the Creed. And so I will preach to you about our confession concerning the final humiliation of Christ. We will look at three things. First of all, the descent into hell, secondly, the testimony of burial, and then finally, thirdly, the significance of death. First and the descent into hell. The Heidelberg Catechism, just like the other confessions and creeds, is an historical document. It reflects the confession that our brothers and sisters made in the past in the midst of a world that either denied the existence of God or that perverted any doctrine concerning him. The confessions were born from a desire to express the truth of God's word in a summary. That was also absolutely necessary. And that is, for that is what the Lord Jesus Christ com- demands from us he says in Matthew 10 verse 32 whoever acknowledges me before men I will also acknowledge him before my father in heaven and that's what Peter did for example when he said to the Lord Jesus in John 6 verse 68 and 69 Lord to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life we believe and know that you are the holy one of God it's a short confession And he made that confession over against the unbelieving Jews. We also read of many other personal confessions in the scriptures. For example, the Apostle John says in his first letter, chapter 4, verse 15, If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. It is a beautiful confession. It is a beautiful summary of God's word. And so we see all kinds of examples in the Bible itself of people confessing their faith in a summary way. It is something that we all need to do. The early church also had to confess her faith. She had to do that in the midst of a world that believes in false gods or in no God at all. They had to confess their faith in the midst of persecution, especially during the first 300 years of the existence of the Christian Church. Satan tried everything to halt the establishment of the Church. It was during that time that the Apostles' Creed started to to take shape. However, unlike the Nicene Creed and the Athanasian Creed, the Apostles' Creed was not written or approved by a single church council at one specific time, No, the Apostles' Creed gradually took shape from about 200 years before Christ to 750. In the early versions of the Apostles' Creed, the the phrase, He descended into hell, did not occur. The first time we find this statement is in a Latin version of the Creed in the year 390 after Christ. But it, is a clear, but it is clear that the statement then simply meant that Christ was buried. The church at that time took it to mean that Christ descended into the grave. The Latin word infernus was used, which is a translation of the Hebrew word. The Hebrew language is the Old Testament language. The Hebrew word sheol and the New Testament word, the Greek word hades. All of which mean Grave. But after this, no versions of the Apostles' Creed included the statement until the year 650 after Christ. Those early versions, however, did not have the statement about the Lord Jesus Christ being buried. It turns out that both statements, namely that the Lord Jesus Christ was buried and that he descended into hell or the grave, were mistakenly added to the creed around 650 after Christ. And that is the version that has survived to today. That is what the Church has been confessing ever since. Therefore, we now have both the statement that he was buried and that he descended into hell in the Apostles' Creed today. Now, when you hear the statement that Christ descended into hell, then you should not think of actual hell. Now, you have to think of it as another statement about Christ going into the grave. You have to think of it in the way that the scriptures speak about Sheol and Hades, referring to the grave. Listen to what David says, for example, in Psalm 16, verse 10, "You will not abandon me to the grave, nor will your Holy One see decay. The RSV translates this, For thou dost not give me up to Sheol, or let thy godly one see the pit. The NIV gives the translation of the word Sheol and uses the English word grave. David, as a child of the Lord, knew that the grave would not be able to hold him. He would be rescued from there. The Lord, his God, would do that. The same thing is true of Jacob. When he thought that his son Joseph was dead, he refused to be comforted To be comforted, and said, No, in mourning I will go down to the grave to my son. Genesis 37 verse 35. The RSV once again uses the word Sheol. He did not mean here that he expected to go to hell, the place of punishment. No, he would mourn the rest of his life until the day he would go to the grave, to Sheol, to Hades. Sheol or Hades is the place where everyone goes, the wicked and the righteous. Except for those who will live at the time of the second coming of Christ, everyone will end up there. There are no exceptions. There are many other texts in the Bible that speak that way about Sheol and Hades. Time and again, they mean grave. And so when you hear the Apostles' Creed recited with a statement about the descent into hell then you should think of the place where dead people go, the grave. Christ went to the realm of the dead, as we have it in Hymn 1b. Too bad that the Apostles' Creed does not make that clear, and that the word hell is used. It leads to confusion and misinterpretation. That is clear from what has happened throughout the ages, for not everyone gives that biblical explanation. The Roman Catholics, for example, they do not go to the scriptures to make sure that their doctrines are right or not as we do. No, they build their doctrines on tradition and on the pronouncements of councils and the utterances of the Pope. They teach that Christ's soul actually went to the underworld and remained there as long as his body was in the tomb, thus for three days between Good Friday and Easter. They have a very elaborate way of speaking about hell, and they have many chambers of it. The Lutherans have a slightly different slant on it. According to them, Christ went both in body and soul to the place called hell, where he announced his victory over death to the devils and the condemned. Yet another interpretation is held by the Greek Orthodox churches. They teach that Christ went into hell in order to liberate the souls of the Old Testament saints and to take them up to heaven with him. But nowhere in the Bible do we read any of this. What then do the scriptures actually teach? They are quite clear, actually. Christ said to the murderer on the cross, Today you will be with me in paradise. And just before Christ breathed his last breath, he said, crying out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Luke 23, verse 46. He committed his spirit to his Father in heaven. That's where the Lord Jesus Christ went on Good Friday. While his body was dead and placed in a grave, his spirit was taken up to heaven. And it was from his heavenly throne, seated at the right hand of God the Father, that he announced the victory over Satan and sin. The scriptures also make abundantly clear that the souls of the Old Testament believers went straight to heaven as well. They did not have to wait until the victory of Christ over death and Satan, as the Orthodox Church teaches. This was a foregone conclusion. God would not allow Satan to be triumphant. He would accomplish what he said he would accomplish. From the answer given in question 44, after question 44, it is clear that the authors of the Heidelberg Catechism also were quite aware that a descent into hell did not mean the place of hell where all the condemned reside. And so they do not make the mistake of the Lutherans, the Roman Catholics, and the Greek Orthodox believers. Yet the Heidelberg Catechism does not do complete justice to the original meaning either. For the Catechism also speaks here about hell, Gehenna, about the place of punishment, and not as the realm of the dead as originally intended. The authors, of course, are correct in seeing the punishment of Christ taking place before he went bodily to the grave and spiritually to the Father. But they do not deal with the original intent of the Apostles' Creed. The answer, however, dealing with the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ as such, is indeed completely scriptural. It speaks about hell as punishment, not the realm of the death. For it is true that Christ did suffer hellish agony, just as the answer gives. While Christ was on earth, hell came to him. For ultimately, what is hell? It is to be forsaken by God. It is to suffer the consequences of sin. And the consequence of sin is suffering. The consequence of sin is weakness. The consequence of sin is total helplessness. That is the kind of hell... Christ experienced in the flesh. As we saw when we dealt with the previous Lord's Day, the kind of suffering he had to endure was much greater than we can even begin to imagine. It was more than being born in some lowly place, it was more than just having to be lain in a manger, it was more than just being misunderstood, misunderstood by his friends, it was more than just some nails being driven through his hands. He bore the wrath of God against the sin of all mankind. We cannot even begin to imagine what that would have been like. The Lord Jesus had to bear our punishment. And therefore he had to experience the final humiliation. Namely to be put into the grave. But what about our burial then? Why do we have to die and to be buried in the ground? We come to the second point. The Catechism gives a very sober and simple answer to that answer about Christ's burial. It says the reason why he was buried was to prove that he had really died. Some criticize this answer of the Heidelberg Catechism. It is too simple. It is too sober. They say that there is a lot more to it than that. Ursinas and Olivianus, the authors of the Heidelberg Catechism, Miss the boat with this one, they claim. After all, they say the proof of Christ's death is not so much that he was put into a grave, but as we know from John 19, that water and blood came out of his side. That was the proof of his death. But note well how the Heidelberg Catechism phrases it. It speaks about testimony. His burial, it says, is a testimony. It is a testimony, first of all, to his disciples. For they have to believe and to witness of all that had gone on while Christ was on earth. And now, Christ's burial is also a testimony for us. It underscores that Christ was really dead. For he was buried, put into a grave. His body was lifeless. For three days he lay in that grave without stirring. And note well that the catechism uses the passive tense. He allowed this to happen to his body. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, that same Nicodemus whom the Lord Jesus told about the need to be born again in order to have eternal life, these men, they took him and they laid him in the grave. It was the final humiliation for Christ. That final judgment of God, pronounced already just after the fall into sin, dust you are, and to dust you shall return, Jesus also had to undergo. It was to show that physical bodies must die, for the body is frail and weak because of sin. That's why it must go into the grave. But also note the respect with which Joseph and Nicodemus treated Christ's body. They brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. His body is precious to them. Now a light begins to shine. For there is a purpose for the burial of the body. It is also a testimony to the glorious things that are still coming. For the body will not remain in the grave. It is going to be renewed. It is going to rise from the dead. Therefore, we too should treat the body with respect. When we die, our bodies are not just some refuse that must be discarded. It is not some garbage that now needs to be dumped. No, also the body has been redeemed by the blood of Christ. And at the time of the resurrection, our bodies will be a most glorious testimony of that. The graves of our loved ones are also witnesses. They witness us to the fact that we believe. We believe that once again we will walk around here on this earth with glorified bodies. Our loved ones, our friends, our fellow believers whom we so lovingly laid in the grave will one day rise again. They will be reunited with their bodies. They will live forever and ever with us and with all those who believe. Never again will they die. What a wonderful comfort that is for the believer, for you and for me. What a rich inheritance Christ has acquired for us. For Christ, the grave was truly a grave. Three long days his body lay there. It was to fulfill the scriptures which Christ Himself spoke about to the Pharisees and Scribes in Matthew twelve verse 14. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, in, in the belly of a huge fish, the Lord Jesus said, "So the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth." In this way, however, He sanctified our graves. Uh, As Hercinus says in his commentary on this Lord's Day, in this way, our graves are not truly graves, but resting places until the day of the resurrection, the final day. And that's why we as Christians do not go for the practice of cremation. We do not burn our bodies. That is a worldly practice. That is the deed of those who have no hope for the body. It is for those who think that death is fading into nothingness, To be part of the life cycle of nature. We do not give our bodies over to the flame. If we can help it. But we lay them in a grave. Being Christians. We follow the lead of the Lord Jesus Christ. We lay our bodies to rest in him. For he is and was and will be. Our only comfort both in life and in death. Death and burial brothers and sisters, boys and girls, is full of significance. And the authors of the Heidelberg Catechism had a good understanding of that. And they show that not only in the sober answer to question 41, but also in the answer given to question 43. For there is also spoken of burial. It says there that through Christ's death, our old nature is crucified, put to death, and buried with him. Again, the significance of burial is shown. There again, the significance of what Christ has done for us is shown through his burial. His body was put into a grave so that we may know that the victory over sin and death have been won by him. And he also rose from the grave. He rose in order to grant us the newness of life. As Paul says... In Colossians 2, verse 11 and 12, we have been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. Brothers and sisters, when Christ died, he took our sins with him. He laid them in the grave. He was victorious. He first nailed our sins to the cross, and then he put them to death with him. And then he buried them. It was done with, finished. And that, beloved, is our comfort. That, beloved, is our strength. For even though now we are still permeated by and surrounded with sin, the power of sin has been broken. It has been conquered. It is in the victory of Christ that we can go on again in this life. And for that reason we may no longer still want to remain in our sins. And That is why we constantly pray for the forgiveness of our sins as we struggle with our sins. And so what is the result of Christ's death and burial for us? Well, It says, so that we may offer ourselves to him as a sacrifice of thankfulness. Although we are still a long way away from the third part of the catechism, our thankfulness, here already the catechism reminds us of the purpose of the work of Christ. It is so that we live to the praise of his glory, so that we show our thankfulness to him in the way that we conduct ourselves, in the things we say and do. But you may say, what then is the significance of our death? We die like all men do. Whether you are a believer or not, it appears not to make any difference. Should the fact that we are children of God through adoption not make a difference for the believer? Are we not different from an unbeliever? It is understandable that they have to die. They want nothing to do with sin. They do not even want to take the word sin on their lips. But what about us? We believe that Christ came to die for our sins. Well, that's what question and answer 42 addresses. And it gives us a most beautiful and comforting answer. It speaks the language of the Bible once again. It speaks the language of faith. It says, our death is not a payment for our sins, but it puts an end to sin and is an entrance into eternal life. We come to the the third and final point. Beloved congregation, are you and I different from an unbeliever? Are we different now already? Oh, yes, we are. For through faith, we now already have eternal life. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ himself told us. He said in John 3, verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has present tense, eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. And further he says in John 5, verse 24, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. And so, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, The only ones who are truly alive, whether they are physically alive or dead, are the believers. Physical death for a believer does not interrupt eternal life. A believer knows that at the end of this life on earth, he will continue to exist on the other side of the grave. But there is a difference between now and then. Whereas now we know and see our Lord Jesus our Lord and Savior, through the eyes of faith. Then we will see him face to face. But that scares some people, for our faith is weak. It is not always easy to believe what God says in his word. And not only that, but since we are confronted by our sins daily, since we sin all the time... Some have at times difficulty accepting the forgiveness of sins, accepting the fact that Christ's death was a full and complete payment for our sins. And so they fear death, or are apprehensive about it, or would rather not think about it. Indeed, as Paul also says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 26, death is still an enemy. It is also alien to us. It is alien to us because it is not part of our own personal experience. From this vantage point, we see death only from this side of the grave. For those who still have to face it and enter it, it is a deep black hole without any light. The exit is not visible except through faith. But faith tells us that death is an entrance into eternal life. The moment you draw out your last breath is the moment that sin also breathed its last breath. At the end of the dark hole is the light and glory of eternal life of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so there is nothing to fear. Death is not a payment for our sins. It is an entrance into eternal life. At the end of that dark hole, the angels are waiting for those who believe that Christ's death was a payment for their sins. And there you will also find those who preceded you. As the Lord Jesus says in John 14 verse 2, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. Isn't that wonderful? Christ prepared a place for all those who belong to him through faith. And that is, in the words of Revelation 14 verse 13, a true blessing. It says there, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Indeed. What a wonderful comfort that is for all of us. We may may know about sin and call it for what it is. But we also know that Christ came to earth to do away with sin, to eradicate it forever and ever. He has forever conquered hell and the grave for all those who believe in him. Amen.